This program is uncut. It contains strong language in some adult situations. Discretion is advised. All the way live radio, CKUT 90.3 FM, every single Wednesday from 3 to 5. This is Pro V. Big shout out to Widget. And big shout out to CKUT for keeping the programming going. Big shout out to DJ Buddha Blaze, who uh, took the time to do an interview. And that's what today's show is. It's an interview with Buddha Blaze. Um, DJ, radio host, producer, executive producer, road manager. So many, uh, you know, instrumentalists. Uh, so many... So many different skills, so much experience in this in this music game, and uh, glad that we, that we had the you know that we took the opportunity to to talk and uh, put everything down. And uh, somebody who's been on CKUT for for a good twenty years now, as well as did work on K one hundred three. And uh, but yeah, man. Uh, without further ado, let's just get into this interview. Um, and then after the interview is, uh, I'm just gonna play a little bit of a of a mix that DJ Buddha Blaze did, um, just to fill up the the end of the, the two hour spot. So without further ado, all the way live radio CKUT 90.3 FM interview with DJ Buddha Blaze. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back. Peace. Let's start from the let's start from the beginning. Um, where did you grow up, and describe the environment? I grew up on the Mohawk Reservation on the south shore of Montreal, called Gahnawage, which means by the rapids. <clears throat> uh, there's about seven, eight thousand people here when I was growing up. We're about at ten thousand, eleven thousand, maybe twelve with non-residents. Uh, no sidewalks. No street signs, no street names. Um, everybody knew everybody. If you weren't here, if you weren't from here and you were here, people would want to know why you're here. Type of a vibe. Very closed, closed uh, knit community. All everyone who lives here is native, so it's like you know you know everybody that's here. And then 1990 happened, and that was obviously a whole thing. Uh, the Oka crisis, the 1990 blockade, where basically for three months uh, the Canadian Army occupied my town, and uh, we had a, a blockade blocking one of the main arteries from the south shore onto the island of Montreal. So uh, initially it was like small town vibes. And then after 90, it was, um, it was kind of weird because we're a very English town. So it was like a bunch of English people living in a super Frenchified place that everybody hated us because they thought we killed some cop that they found out years later we didn't. So uh, growing up, it was weird. It was small town. Then it turned into kind of understanding that I was native and different. And yeah, got into music. Uh, real early though, here on the reserve, there's a radio station. So I uh, started hanging out there when I was 12 and got my first show that that same year. So that was my growing up vibes, just small towns, radio. Yeah, that was the next question: was how did you discover your musical interests? Uh, my my uh, late brother played guitar. He got me my first guitar, uh, Winter '89. So I was 11, and I started learning acoustic guitar that whole first year. Then I started uh, meeting more people around my age who wanted to get into playing music. So we sort of just uh, formed a band and started jamming in one of the guys' basements. <coughs> just learning cover songs and playing cover songs. Um, yeah, that's 11, 11, 12 years old. Started playing guitar. Then I was a singer-guitar player in uh, a cover band. 
Okay, cool, cool. And um, what at, at what point did you discover hip hop? You got to repeat yeah. that. You broke up. You you sound a bit broken up too. But when you speak, are you, are you hearing yourself clear? Maybe it's just the connection because sometimes the recording goes well after you know, like it records your side and it records my side, and it, you know what I mean. So uh, I mean, if 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 you, if you hear yourself fine, then I I'm hear myself sure after fine, but I don't hear you. You know, you can also record okay. audio through Pro Tools and just grab the the audio capture if you're worried about it. But whatever. Yeah, I trust uh, I trust the Zoom. I was just making sure you heard yourself good. As long as you hear yourself good, then I think no, I hear you starting to talk like that. Okay, so what if, if I kill the video? Right, there we go. How does that sound? Fine. All right, okay. what's the next question? Yeah, um, so the question was how, did you dis- how or when did you discover hip-hop along that musical, you know? Uh, way, way, way before any of that. Um, 85? 84 85 maybe um yeah the the like i remember hearing run dmc uh, with my brother but i think the one that like i really remember myself sort of getting into was the first beastie boys album so that was was that 86 late 85 86 something like that yeah because i think def jam started in 85 and beastie boys were out by 86 so it was like Beastie Boys' first album, and then um, uh, Tougher Than Leather. Um, Run DMC. Uh, Run DMC. Uh, you know, just random public enemy stuff. Also, like growing up, so my father worked in New York City. A little trailer that we stayed in in New York State. So me and my mom would go there on the weekends to go see my dad. So he wouldn't have to drive the extra three, four hours and go through the border. Uh, so he would just, we would just stay at this spot in uh, Plattsburgh. So I, I was exposed to the MTV really early on, uh, MTV raps, MTV raps, as well as the box. Uh, we had satellite here, back here on my reserve way back when there was only like two channels. There was a six and 12 and if you had an antenna, yeah. if you had if you had an antenna, maybe you could catch ABC, CBS, and uh, NBC, maybe, and, yeah. and NBC. Yeah, you know, uh, five, three, and and twenty two. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, of course, there was PBS, which you know is fifty seven, thirty three. Yeah, exactly. uh, but it was very limited, you know. And we didn't need, like for people listening to this, we didn't get global till like the nineties. Oh, late nineties. Late nineties. Like yeah, yeah. I remember. What was I'm so glad show? you remember all the, the the precise numbers with the channels. That's great. Like like Clar- like Clarissa Flockhart's big show there, Ali McBeal. I remember when that first popped off. Yeah, that, that was, was like, uh, global. That was like yeah, that was like when global first came out, and I was like, wow, another English station that has all the American shows that I want to watch. <laughs> and Cause, funny, cause we yeah. didn't have Fox, and then Fox came. And then you had yeah. Fox. It was, it was pretty funny, but. And oftentimes global had the same schedule as CTV or CFCF 12. Or Fox sometimes too. Because <laughs> they were just taking Fox's best shows. But yeah. So um, I remember seeing a lot of stuff on the box, a lot of stuff on uh, MTV. Uh, so yeah, like, uh, and then I remember, like, I remember when nobody move nobody get hurt the run dmc track uh run dmc the nwa track 
that album came out. Was that their first album or their second album? Uh, it has the bank, the bank robbery uh, track where Easy goes in the bank robbery and at the end he's like, and when she pulled up the skirt, the bitch had a dick. So it's basically a, 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 a Slick Rick style song of them robbing a bank. And I just remember being in my brother's Nova his race car and him like get in and like him blasting this music and it being like holy shit they're swearing in this <laughs> like like the first time really hearing like explicit music yeah nwa that that particular track i gotta look and see which one that's on if that might even be an easy solo no 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 it's definitely I'm almost, yeah i'm almost positive it's like from the second Maybe, you know what? You might be right. It might be from his first solo record that was produced by Dr. Dre. There's somebody listening going, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yes. Or are both wrong and they're just... <laughs> but yeah. But I, yeah, but yeah cool. that was, uh, that's, that's one of the big memories I remember was like hearing those, those tracks, definitely. And what was the first album you purchased? First hip-hop album I purchased? Yeah. Shit. That's a good question. Like whether it was your own money and or you were like, mom, dad, get that for me, whatever it was, you know? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember one. I remember my first vinyl I ever bought. Cool. But What's it wasn't hip hop. It wasn't hip hop. It was the Misfits. The Misfits uh, Walk Among Us, which is just a super sick album cover, but also some really good music. And you bought it on vinyl? That was the first uh, piece yeah. of music you ever purchased? Uh, on vinyl, yeah. For okay. sure. What was the I first piece of music you ever purchased? Ever? Uh, wow. Uh, you mean like on CD, I guess? Or like for me, it was a cassette tape. It was like Michael Jackson, Dangerous, I think was the first. I mean, I, I remember bought. I remember having, dude, when I was young, I had a lot of music, so I can't really remember. Like I remember having the first Guns N' Roses album. I remember getting the first Helter Skelter album. Like growing up, um, it's almost, it's not unsimilar to how production producers search for uh, albums. I just look at the cover. Like, yo, this is sick. Yo, I want to <laughs> hear this. Like, let's check out, see what this sounded like. So coming from, because from the age of like 10, 11, 12, I was super into metal, hard rock, rock, classic rock, punk, until about, well, basically until all the bands that I really enjoyed put out their next album and they all sucked. And either some of them were just like, the times had changed so much because they're putting out an album now in the time of grunge when they were in a time of metal or whatever it had been, you know, yeah. or alternative now. Um, or a lot of people try to, to like become alternative or become almost like rap. Like there was one band I really liked called Machine Head and their like second or third album came out and the guy was rapping and I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, this sounds stupid. So around that same time, like mid 90s, probably 90, uh, 96 probably 95, 96. Uh, a lot of my friends in high school were all super heavily into hip hop by this point. And it was very much like the metal heads and the hip hop heads, you know, there was a decisiveness between them. And, um, but one of my buddies was just always cool and always played music. So we, I would like ride around with him and he would have uh, a system. He was one of the first people I knew with a system in his, in his um, Jimmy, his blazer. And he would play like the first uh, uh, Jizza album. He'd play the ODB album. You know, he'd play the all of those albums that had first come out in uh, 95, 96, 90, I guess even into 97, right? At that point? Mm -hmm. What year did uh, the, the first ODB album come out? That was 95. 
So yeah, so 95. Jizza was 95, right? Yeah, I believe so. And then uh, 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 Method Man's first album was 95 as well, or was that 96? 94. 94. So yeah, he was so, it would have been, so it would have been 94, 95, 96. And just hearing all that music and being exposed to it. And then, like, I think one of the, uh, and it's funny, most people do this from what I've seen. I really got into to Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill really had an aesthetic uh, musically and visually that just uh, appealed to me as, I guess, someone who was into harder music. You know, a lot of, like, black and white, a lot of, like, they were using a lot of rock stuff. So sometimes I would hear something and know what it was. And that, that fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And the content was very like hardcore. was very violent. was very like about drugs. And I just started smoking weed, like I was 17 when I started smoking weed. So that's uh, around that 97, 96, 97. So yeah, those were, those were the things that really got, got me into hip hop was my buddy, uh, and uh, my cousin, Craig, who both had crazy systems and and then a little bit later on uh, a girl i dated her best friend was just like a music connoisseur he just bought music con and i don't remember if it was like it might have even been the Colum- the publisher's clearinghouse or columbia records days where you you picked yeah. like a hundred albums and they sent it to you and you paid like nine cents or something stupid yeah 12 for one deals and i remember him being like here here buddha like take this CD because I don't like it and I know you'll like it. I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, here, it's this guy called Big L. I was like, all right, cool. And he gave me the Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. Who's this guy? And I was like, oh, this is a sick record. Like, And yeah, so that kind of, it's funny because a lot of the, a lot of hip hop stuff came to me in different ways. I, uh, you know, only later, later on when I joined a hip hop group and I had someone who was sort of my mentor show me like oh check out rap pages and check out the source and check out rap genius and check out the you know what i mean like i never knew any about those all became sort of things to go back to as reference and start reading and learning about everything because i was like 10 years behind at that point you know yeah so that's that that would be how i really got in wu-tang cypress hill you know the the harder stuff big gal eventually um gang star you know, Funk Dubious, uh, The Roots. Yeah, just... And then, and then, and then come the late 90s, it was uh, a lot, lot of underground stuff. Probably stuff I couldn't even name you the artists anymore, but I have singles of them, and, like, I remember the songs. But mm-hmm. it became... It's funny, because back in, the, I guess, the 50s and 60s, music really was a singles game. So, like, you put out singles all the time. Singles, singles, singles. Yeah. So, that's what it was That's what it was in, like, 99 to, like, say, 2004, 5. Everyone was just putting out singles all the time. You might not even put an album out for a year yeah. or two. Yeah. You're putting out singles, and the singles are standing up on, on themselves to, to get you where you need to be. So, yeah, I have tons of singles of bands that fuck. Like I remember, I remember like so. Shout out to to Toolman. One of Toolman's good friends is Khalil, Khalil, who's one of the DJ Khalil, yeah, from South South Scientific. And I remember being like, bro, we used to play South fucking Scientific in like '99. Like we had one of the singles, and I was trying to remember what the single is. I think it's Act Right or Act On It or Act Up or something. But I was like, bro, I fucking used to play all that shit back in the day. So it's funny, you know what I mean? Like to see that convergence and that sort of. Um, maturity happen 
Like mm-hmm. now that guy, that guy works at like Dre and he's like, he's, you know, he's sold probably millions of records, whatever. He's, he's, he's tightly knit into the West coast musical scene in the yeah. United States now in hip hop. Yeah, man, definitely. What was the, um, what was the first hip hop show that you went to? First hip hop show I ever went to. Wow. Let me think about that. It probably would have been, uh, no, it would have been at Lollapalooza and it would have been the Beastie Boys for the Ill Communication album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that probably would have been the first show because I was still underage going to shows, but there, there weren't a lot of hip-hop shows that came to, to Montreal uh, unless you were really in the underground and knew what was happening. And even at that time, like let's say 95 to, to 2000 or even 99, there wasn't that much going on, you know, like you had like the shows where a big show would come like um, Limp Biscuit with Eminem or something, you know? Yeah. But it, there was well, Yeah, they used to cross like, well, even like you're talking about Lollapalooza is like that was basically Ultimate cross. That's that's that was was Beastie Boys the only band in that festival, like the only um, hip hop band in that festival. Because um, I, yeah. I feel, I feel like they only used to have one or two. Like it, you know, Cypress yeah, Hill. Was, I feel like was, joined them in the later nineties. There was them um, on that tour. There was them. There was George Clinton. There was the Breeders. There was uh, Smashing Pumpkins. There was Luscious Jackson. There was, you know what? There there was secondary stages, and somebody told me like, "Oh, didn't you see such and such at that show?" And now I can't remember who, but it was like someone super dope. Uh, yeah, so it probably would have been Beastie Boys. Then it would have been the um, Gangstar, Cypress, Yclef, Public Enemy, uh, Bustas, and Flip Mode with Gangstar at the, um, it was called Smoking Grooves. Mm-hmm. And, and that was an amazing fucking show, man. Was that at Jerry Park? Yeah, that was at the uh, the tennis court, yeah. Cool. And then after that, um, right, right after that would have been the Hard Knock Life Tour. And that was like the biggest show because that was at the Bell Center or Forum, whichever it was at the time. And yeah, that was like everybody was <laughs> fucking Method Man, Red Man, um, DMX, you know, uh, Memphis Bleak with Jay-Z. Uh, I don't even remember who else was on. Those are the main ones. Yeah. But yeah, that was a great, that was a, a great great experience as well seeing it in a a real real venue where you would see a regular rock show because you got to remember back then this was all still new like yeah you know that was the first manifested itself to what it is today that was the first ever tour of that size i believe so definitely it was something uh yeah that never had happened before yeah and um in the midst of all this, do you, do you remember when your first DJ gig was? Well, I mean, I well, started, radio, radio started, came first, right? Then, I started DJing in 91 on the radio and not yeah. long after I bought my own first mixer, but not a DJ mixer. I only got into hip hop DJing in 99. But before that I had a regular, like a house PA mixer with two CD players and two turntables and I would I would DJ gigs. I would do like uh, baby showers. I would do weddings. I would do dances. Whatever, whatever I could do. And in retrospect, man, they used to fucking shortchange me so much. 
compared to what the other guys are charging. But yeah, that uh, would have been the early nineties. And then, and then I was doing radio all the time here. And then I, I, I joined a hip hop group of all native guys here under reserve and hip hop in Montreal was basically born as far as it being on a large scale more than two hours a week here under reserve here in Gunawaga at K103. You know, we started doing Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday, 6 p.m. till 3 a.m. all urban programming. And when, for example, that Jay-Z uh, tour came, you know, all of those people were with K103. K103 was the main sponsor. K103 was giving out tickets. K103 got all the interviews, all the drops. I mean, so did CKUT, obviously, because you can hear them. But, you know, it's it, it's no secret that uh, K103 championed hip-hop in Montreal for a long time. And I was lucky enough to sort of step into that realm when it was happening. And there was some characters at the time who were involved. One guy thought he was fucking Howard Stern of hip-hop. Uh, he used to just be, he was sort of like me, but not funny. <laughs> so imagine my, but, but you're, but you're not disrespectful. You're dry, but you're not disrespectful. Yeah. Like, uh, I can be disrespectful if need be, but I never am. My, my disrespect comes from, you know, the truth. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. I say things that are true and sometimes that can embarrass people and they can be disrespected, but whatever. Uh, so he, he didn't really, he wasn't, he wasn't really that funny in my opinion. Like, Oh, anyway. And so we tried to like get on with the hip hop group and he sort of dissed us at first. And we just kept doing our thing till eventually I was able to transition from doing what I was doing to doing hip hop as well at K103. So at this point I'm doing regular radio and then I'm doing a hip hop radio show on Fridays um after bingo so 10 30 to like three in the morning i used to do a freestyles from 11 30 to 12 it was amazing people would call in they try to diss me and talk shit and i would just like oh, i ruined so many people's egos on that show it was amazing that's when i first started using all of the 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 sound effects now it's not as prevalent anymore on on the radio show but during the, the heyday the sound effects were key we used to have the necro sound effects that was right when um, Chappelle show was popping, so the fuck everything with the Rick one liners, yeah, yeah, all the Rick James stuff was popping. So we were using that for a couple of years, you know. And um, but in '99, I was I was doing my thing, and I linked up with Orion from Shades of Culture. I remember my boy JJ was like, "Oh, you got to meet Orion. He's in Shades of Culture." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So I met him at the radio at the record store, actually. Um, the old taboo, I think it was. Mm -hmm. and, and he gave me a copy of uh, Shade's latest single. And he was like, you know, you should come to the show sometime. It's Mind State. Um, yeah, it was probably Mind State or Island I'm from. Or, um, yeah, that's the same one, isn't it? Actually? Yeah, Shine maybe. Main yeah, objective. Or Shine. I think it was Shine because, it, yeah, it was a white label. Okay, cool. Which I still have. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I ended up meeting him again at, at another, uh, he used to work at Moog, had Moog DNA was a store for a hot minute before Moog. Yeah, man, I remember the, that. The juggernaut, before it became the juggernaut that it is as far as 
musical uh, equipment. They had a small little shop inside of DNA Records. And you could go upstairs, and there was a hip-hop spot, and th that's where he worked. So kind of got to know him there, and he started inviting me to come to the radio show. And at that time, it was Flo, Orion, and Pat Reck. Uh, so I started coming, and that was actually right when I started coming was right when they had just gotten the cover of The Mirror for the best of Montreal. So back in the day, you know, Cult Montreal is the only real paper now, but before there used to be The Mirror and The Hour. There was two of them. Mm -hmm. and, the, and The Mirror would do a yearly best of, uh, which the Cult, uh, which cult Magazine actually does now instead. And uh, they won. They won uh, Best Radio Show. So they were going to do a photo shoot. So I remember one of the first times I went to hang out with them, it was to go to this photo shoot. And eventually we did another one with me in it because we had won a few times in a row. But um, that that's kind of how I got involved with uh, with CKUT and with doing that hip-hop radio show. And that would be probably my first hip-hop gig per se. I mean, unless you mean at a show show, then it would have been Under Pressure probably 99. Under Pressure 99 or Under Pressure 2000 was the first year I started spinning there. <laughs> and that you know, I mean, since since then, uh, uh, you know, what did we call it? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the F boy stage. Yeah, the fuck boy stage. Uh, the last few <laughs> the last few years have been given fuck boy stage, and you know that's my own doing because I'm never around. This is you know I've been touring the world for fucking seven years now, so it is what it is. But um, yeah, it would have been ninety nine. Would would have been uh, under pressure doing the skate the skate stage yeah why don't you why don't you talk a bit about um what the radio meant at that time when you were you wow. know when you just connected with off the hook and 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 just the the, yeah, va well, the I mean, value the community behind it uh yeah i mean i didn't really realize i don't think i realized that until i really got into it but yeah it was a it was a really important vehicle for a lot of people in the city for a long time and you know, everything is in con con everything is in constant change in life and nothing will stay the same and nothing is going to be forever. Uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, so we had a slot from 2 till 4 a.m., which is a fucking ridiculous slot. Like, to think I did that for almost 10 years um, through different jobs and different relationships and different things. Uh, but it was the... I, in, in retrospect, we should have never changed slots. Because there was something about that two to four slot, mainly that the bars closed at 3 a.m. Yeah, because so, you talked about the timing, right? Um, the timing of the night with the bars closing, with the freestyle half hour still exactly. being at that same slot, which would have been three, starting at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. So you see all these people coming out of the bars and or artists that were still in town because they were at the venue and maybe they finished their show and now they're waiting for the 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 bar to count out to pay them or whatever we would get people come through we'd get yo. Know, i remember so if anyone's ever been to ckt how it is is you walk into the hallway and before the main studio there's a, a smaller studio to the right and it fits maybe you know six ten people say six people yeah, tightly uh, tightly yeah tightly it's a stand-up studio it's like a little fishbowl fish fishbowl and then you walk into the main studio so what, what we used to do, there used to be so many people, like literally 20, 30 people, 40 people uh, waiting to rap that we started to close off the studio. So what we would do is only the VIPs, only the people who were allowed, who were cool enough or who we wanted to be in the room with us 
would actually come into the studio where we'd be spinning the records and we'd be on air. Everyone else would flow into that smaller studio, and there's a there's a window that faces the DJ, because it's it's made to be a a news studio. So what happens is you're in the big studio, you're doing your show, whatever, and every time it's time for the news, that person just pops in that little room, and you turn on their mic, they do their news, they leave, so they don't have to interact with you. They just come and go or whatever, you know. So that's what we would use it for, and I don't know, I don't even remember how long that lasted, but that was that was amazing. Just to have 20, 30 local rappers all there, just like smushed up together, trying to get their, their turn, you know? That's, uh, the energy is incredible. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, we used to have guys, uh, a lot of the old school guys who just, you know, they, they had their time in music and they moved on to do other things like, uh, like Bless. Bless would always be there with our big man, Molavi. You know, there was always a core crew of people there every week, and uh, definitely was community. We used to have what we would call the van of rappers, and the van of rappers uh, ended up becoming uh, Ninth Majesty, which was this like short-lived Montreal mega group uh, consisting of pretty much every rapper that would come rap with us at the at the station. So you had like Odio, who now lives out in the East Coast. You had um, Tommy Cruz, uh, not Tommy Cruz. What am I saying? <laughs> uh, sorry, another Tommy. Ta- Tommy Matola. Yeah. Matolo. You'd have Lopeshi. You'd have Yushua. You'd have Narsi. You'd have Nofi. You'd have fucking San uh, San Hill. You'd have, and that's like that's just seven. That's seven dudes right there. You know what I mean? And I'm sure there's ones I'm forgetting too, like. Um, the guys who, who ended up becoming the, uh, I was going to say the Argonauts or the Argobots. I can't remember what the hell they're called. Autobots? No, that's a whole crew of that. But anyway, just it was a, it was a community thing. And, and then it got to a point where, you know, under pressure started bringing in all these great hip-hop groups and they started having shows on a regular basis at an affordable price. And that would pop on to people coming through to the station after and, yeah, so I definitely think it was an important thing uh, for its time. And I think moving the slot from noon, from, from 2 to 4 to midnight to 2 uh, kind of killed us in a way. I mean, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it didn't. Maybe it was all meant to happen that way. But I yeah, feel yeah like but the times was, changed as well. You know what I mean? Uh, but the bars still close at 3. Yeah, but there's still not uh, that environment of of many rappers showing up somewhere for, for, you know. Yeah, but you know what? We used to get a lot of phone calls. And that's what I'm talking about, too. Just people Mm -hmm. calling in. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people calling in because you're you're leaving the bar. You just got back, you, you know. But nowadays, like I said, people are on Instagram. They're on Twitter. They're on fucking SoundCloud. They're on Twitch. They're not necessarily listening to the regular radio. Yeah. Do, do you remember any out of the town artists who who came through when you any uh, you're talking there's about? More, there's more when I like before I I joined the group I would say than when I was there, but um, Peanut Butter Wolf Six uh, Two uh, who else did we have come through? We had some comedians come through. We were on a show called uh, called Insomniac on yeah. Comedy Central. Comedy Central, yeah. And, and which is part of the intro uh, for the rap hour half hour. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dave Attell, one of my favorite comedians actually in life. Uh, and I just remember 
Orion being like, yeah, this guy, and he's got this show, and it's like he stays up all night. And I'm like, bro, is it fucking Insomniac with David Tell? And he's like, yeah, that's it. I'm like, holy fuck, we're doing it. He's like, it's cool. I'm like, bro, I'm like, that's like one of my favorite comedians. I'm like, that show is fucking sick. So he would just go to a town for a week and, and stay up all night, every night, and just see what happens at night in those cities, go to the places that are like, all right, the guys who work all day and they finish at like three – and then they're like up all night for the rest of the where do they go eat? Where's the places where uh where they yell at you when you open the door because you're letting the light in, the street light in, it's so dark, you know, that's the only light in, <laughs> in in the room and it's like all bums or not bums, but like fucking career drunks and <clears throat> the guy's dark, so I was like he came through and it was just it was amazing. And then he actually came through again years later. He was just in town for for uh just for laughs and we got him to come through again to just talk some shit and i remember that's i have one of the best ofs and he came in talking about uh let's rename iceland and uh or rename the northwest territories and i don't know it was pretty funny so we, we i would say more when i was before i was there there was more artists that came through when i was there it was all local people and every week would just be tons of local people and i was just trying to get the new local guy to come on or you know, we were out there every week. There was a party to go to. There was an event going on. So we were always out in the scenes, so to say. Um, and then we would meet people and, oh, yeah, well, I got this song or, like, I got this or, hey, I got this show coming up. Like, all right, come through. And our whole thing was, like, yo, we'll put anybody on. You just got to come. It's, like, if you show the fucking – if you show the the initiative to show up at 230 – in the morning to promote your shit, then we're going to put you on because you showed up at two 30 in the morning. Yeah. That's how we always looked at it. It's always an open door policy. If you, if you've got the fucking goal to come. So, yeah. Was there a time, uh, when you truly believed in the hip hop scene here in Montreal and expected it to flourish internationally? Uh, no, never, 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 never. I always thought the best artists should have moved somewhere else where they could have done that. Uh, there was a time for a brief moment where there was a real culmination of all of the best artists putting out music. But you know, let's, let's be realistic here. We live in a Francophone society that supports Francophone artists and Francophone culture. So if you're trying to do rap, you're not going to get on. Like, look at Les Anticipateurs has tens of thousands of followers and play, millions of plays and does shows. And they may do shows in like third third sort of spot cities but they sell out and they, yeah. they got merch and yeah and it's because it's all in french like they're they're so down to support that whereas i feel like someone here doing english it's already two strikes against you you're doing <laughs> rap and it's in english like, oh, who do you think you are you know so that's how i always looked at it but definitely you know like i always knew narcy i've always said narcy's been one of the best artists and i've always champ championed him forever since i've ever known him you know what i mean and he's at one point i was his dj and i've helped produce some of his records and i've been there to during the process and and you know he's one of my best friends so i've always i've always known he's been somebody and he has reached uh international acclaim so i mean as far as that uh but there's people like 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 Cease Rock. Cease Rock put out an album a few years back, Zero Gravity. I'm like, how is this record not like, how did this not get like 
<clears throat> you know, nominated for the for the Polaris at least, you know, or like how did some of these songs not end up being singles and actually try to be pushed into like you know, the market and I don't know. There's just there's only so much I guess uh you can do. But I would say besides those two, those are the two people who I was closest to that I saw really touch the highest points of uh, what you could do with music. And still so. I mean, Narcy just put out a new record. It's a killer. I was going to ask you to name five Montreal artists in no particular order. So you just named Narcy and Cease Rock. So who... Is there anybody else who, right off the top, like comes to mind? Yeah, you I like or just in general? Yeah, just, yeah, just your your general favorite Montreal artist. Like, just name name. I guess another uh, three you know, or whatever. You know, uh, I always like Penzo. Penzo is. I was, I've always been uh, a big supporter of Penzo Gritty from his intoxicated days recording here at my house to actually getting his shit together and getting his life together and 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 putting some music out and just, you know, doing shit. Those guys I always liked, um, you know, boom, Bat cats were always cool. Uh, Hindu Kush, uh, you know, they had a couple good tracks. OG Hindu Kush. Obviously. Uh, Lil Pesci and Osa. Shades of culture. Uh, obviously shades of culture. I mean, D shade, uh, you know, I, I produced, I executive produced his first record. His first and only record. Um, so yeah, those guys. I don't know, man. I mean, I'd have to sit and think for a second, but there's there's tons of guys. I mean, there's tons of producers too. You know, like six two under his various names, whether you know it was Megazoid or whatever, or like uh, Similac or like you know Johnny Illdigger, or you know what I'm saying, Logic Johnson. Um, yeah. You know, Logic Johnson's a great MC who who nobody really got a chance to hear because he put out a record, and then life takes over, and then the record comes out, and it's like, well, you didn't you didn't build up no hype for the album to come out, so nobody's really looking for it, so you're already pushing hard twice as hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that caught me off guard a little bit. I can just name you a bunch of my friends and all the people I know that I've always supported for sure. Those those would be a lot of them. You know, VK and his partner there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm forgetting a bunch as well. But yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's a moment to give the people a shout out. Um, was there ever a time throughout the musical journey that you wanted to give it up? Oh yeah, and I did a bunch of times for sure. Like uh, giving up, giving up rock music to get into hip hop. You know, giving up hip hop to get back into metal giving up metal to get back into rap (laughs) giving up rap rap to get into production giving up production to get into growing but djing has always been the most consistent thing like i haven't made a beat in fucking four years five years probably you know but doesn't mean i couldn't just plug in my thing right now and put a whole album together if i wanted but i really have no i really have no interest because my my passion lies somewhere else my passion will always lie with djing djing will always be the thing that will take me out of wherever i'm at in that moment and just like make me enjoy the music and life you know like so many times 
I've had like surgery, three, three major surgeries in my life. And every time I've come and I'm like, oh, I'm going to a radio show because I'd rather sit in the radio show and DJ or talk shit or just be there. And it'll take me out of my space of being fucked up. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so no, definitely there's been tons of times where I've, I've given up music, but it's usually to pivot onto something else. Okay. Not, not, never all together. Just so I don't want to do no, this. I don't think I could ever see myself. Not, I mean like the radio show is constant. I don't think I could ever be like, I don't want to do the radio show anymore. So with that said, I'm always looking for new music. So it's like there, there was definitely a time in the, in the radio show where I, I, uh, I wanted to give up. And that was the, the time when vinyl stopped being produced at a rate where you would get it for promos consistently on a weekly, monthly basis <laughs> to everything going digital. But at the same time, everything being hyper-digital, not having to uh, Serato at the radio station. Bringing my Serato, but them having the most craziest fucked up connection for the turntables to work with the mixer and work on the board that I would try to connect it and it just wouldn't work. So like a good shit, man, more than two years, maybe three years where I was playing music off my laptop on a like a program that was made for automating radio stations. It was a sad, dark time. <laughs> You've seen it all basically. Yeah. I've, I saw that transition happen and that was around the time where Ryan left as well, you know? Because things kind of just got whatever. It's like we didn't even feel like it didn't feel the same anymore, obviously. Yeah. But then when Serato came back, it was like, oh shit, okay, now I can put anything on vinyl and play it. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, not long after you joined, and then here we are. Yeah, man. Um, you, talk, you touched on production a bit there. Um, why don't you talk about the different um, production techniques you used, uh, how you made beats, uh, maybe some, some, equipment you know just like the uh, sure i started off i made my first beat on the sp1200 i had my boy do all of the all of the button shit and i just told him what i wanted and we okay. set it up like that and then i ended up buying an sp uh sorry buying an asrx the workstation the black one and that was my bitch for a long long time at least uh seven years maybe something like that and then I got into uh, machine, but initially I would I would sample. You know, when I joined the hip hop group I was in, I had to do a um, rigorous training, and I had to I actually went up north with the where, where Buddy's record collection was, and it was probably like four and a half feet long, five records wide, and like four records high. And it's like, you got to dig all of these records. It's like, you got to go through every one of these records. And if you find stuff, you got to write it down. If you find samples, you got to write it down. And just here. And I stayed up north at this spot for like a month. And every day I would just dig for eight, ten hours a day. Uh, finding samples. Being like, oh shit, that's what that is? Oh my God. You know, like, um yeah, and then getting the twelve hundred, uh, the uh, the the ASRX, and just sampling, straight sampling, like find the kick, like Marco Polo style, find the kick, no kits, find the kick, find the snare that works for this sample, not no like here's your seven records of all your favorite kicks, mm -hmm. and all your favorite snares. I wasn't even at that point yet. 
It's yeah. just like, okay, this is a sick sample. Now I just keep searching for snares. <laughs> so like, you find something. Yeah, yeah. And like no fucking prior knowledge of what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, so yeah, I would do that. And we, I put out, I did production on our first single. The group I was in was called FBI or FBI Jedis. And that was uh, an all native hip hop group here based on the reserve. We put out, we put out like three albums and like seven mixtapes or something like that. And the first single I put uh, we put out, I produced that, and that was one of the first uh, tracks I made on the ASRX. That song's called Justice. Uh, so yeah, that one was a Headhunters break with a uh, what is his name Duke Ellington sample. It was actually like six Duke Ellington samples because what I used to like to do is I would find. I would find um, an album that had a certain instrument as the main instrument. And then when I would want to do my sampling, I would just create melodies from different parts of the album, not even necessarily the same song, sometimes the same song, but sometimes just to get that same sound mm-hmm. and then you'd be able to create crazy shit. Like I have so many beats that are lost, man. When I th- th- just thinking about it right now with like the craziest, I used to love flute, cello, flute, um, uh, clavico there's a few things that were like my shit and a lot of my sampling had like a lot of flute stuff it's flute or like uh, xylophone different things like that <clears throat> so yeah it was just you know old school style and then it got to the point we we bought a um a roland 1010 or no 8080 which is like an eight track digital eight track and that's how i lost a lot of my beats is i would I would fill up my SRX as much as I could, drums, bass, main sample, and then I would have to save it and then restart, and then I would dump everything to that that Roland, and then I would uh, come back, re- restart the, the sampler at the same BPM, maybe have one same sample in there or something, and then continue. Or I would MIDI link, the, MIDI link it to the 8-track to the and finish creating the beat and and recording layer by layer by layer, which in retrospect sucked because I lost a lot of stuff because all of that is on the original eight track and I don't know where the fuck that is. My old partners, I haven't seen him in years. So yeah, we would do it like that, and then and then it got into digital, and then it was like, oh shit, I can just like digitally pull all this shit and and then sample it into the ASRX. So we started doing that, and then I got a PC. And I got acid, and then I was like, oh, I don't even need the ASRX. I can just drag anything. I could sample off the record player right into my sound card, and I can just like copy, paste, and move everything physically by eye. And then that was a whole other level. And it was like, yeah. And then my, uh, my productivity definitely skyrocketed. Uh, and I was able to to learn and figure out more about EQ and placement and panning and 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 dynamics and and structure too, because you could sit there and structure a whole song rather than just having like loops. Like you could, I could have half the song together and then get a, a chorus on there and then be like, oh, no, oh, take this out, do that, whatever. Like, oh, drop a shitty verse on there just to see how it sounds. Like the opportunity, the creative expression opened up a lot. And then that led to becoming more lazy, funny enough. Because you go from having a million records and sampling all this shit to like, oh, well, I have all these kits now. I'll just grab this kit, grab that kit, 
which is kind of cool too because you're getting sounds that were made to sound good together whereas back in the day you were like well this sounds cool but really maybe it didn't work sonically and in the mix it came out shit and you had to change that kick out anyway because it wasn't going to work because <clears throat> you hadn't totally understood how the dynamics of placing a, a sub kick over a thick bass line just doesn't work you know yeah or whatever it is yeah yeah whatever it is cool cool yeah. so very that, very uh, interesting man that to pc to machine and then i kind of ended on machine where i was using machine to to record into acid as my daw and then i would record all my bass lines live into acid and then edit them in acid same thing with any guitar or piano i wanted to use yeah it was more a lot closer to the lines of um self-production at by the end there really i would mm. maybe find one cool sample but everything else i would build around it play nice. stuff or or plugins because then you have all these fucking plugins it's like i don't even need to find a sample now i can just use this plugin and play something you know mm. yeah man yeah, I appreciate hearing that, you know, going from the actual sampling, like you said, eight hours a day for a month straight, trying to, you know, find, find whatever to, 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 you know, to, to going off of plugins and building around that. It's a, uh, it's a real musical journey from starting off on the guitar, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it makes me wonder like how kids nowadays are approaching it if that's if like i have to go through all that to think about how i want to create a beat like what are they doing they're just grabbing a fucking template and dropping it in to the into the the map you know what i mean and then <laughs> just changing tweaking a couple things like yeah because by the end i was doing that and i was like this is so simple yeah like the, like the last i don't know if i gave you that album i did did I ever give you access to that the album I did with all the instrumentals and a couple songs on it? There was one track I did on there where it's one sample and everything else is straight taken from Machine. Are you talking about the album that has Logic Johnson, Tokyo, Cease Rock on it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's on that one. Yeah. There's yeah. an instrumental on there where all the drums I took from, or all the sounds except for... Uh, the main sample were all taken from templates that I just adjusted, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that was, that was a good album, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite era of hip hop and why? Uh, probably like the mid to late nineties because it was right when I was getting really immersed in it. And I felt like every song I heard was just like the greatest fucking song ever. Like, every time I would hear something, I'd be like, holy sh! what is this? Yo, this is fucking ill. Like, I felt like everything I heard and everything that was coming out was just so good. Just fucking on, on so many levels. Lyrically, obviously production-wise, song, structure. And like anything, it got to a point where like 98, 99, everything was like, imploding itself and like bloated and everyone wanted to just sound like Swiss beats and which is funny because like Swiss beats used to get dissed and even DMX dissed Swiss beats on having to rap over keyboard beats on the second record but now Swiss beats is one of the greatest producers ever 
and uh, you know, like he. And he didn't have to pay any any sample royalties or anything like that. You yeah, know? but that's not, I don't I don't mean it like that. I just mean it. It's it's. it's well, I know you didn't mean it like that. I was just saying, as a bonus to to his style, oh, he, yeah. he didn't he didn't have to pay anybody, and he ended up. But neither you know, did a lot of people for a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a while. So, but it's just it's funny just to see things change and accept in a way where now it's like, oh yeah, do whatever you want, like. Like being with Tribe for so long, seeing like how it is in that genre, it's like it doesn't matter. You have to be able to make any style of music, but just do it the way you do it and do it good. So they don't, you know, they're not just a dubstep or a techno or a, you know, whatever, whatever subgenre of dance music you want to give them. They, they can do anything. So it's it's interesting now in the same sort of. If you look at it for hip hop, anybody can do anything now. Yeah, well, I was I was gonna bring up Tribe, so now that you you just brought them up, why don't we talk about uh, a tribe called Red and um, how how you how you linked up with them, what it is you you do with them, and uh, uh, yeah. I don't do anything anymore. <laughs> no, you know what I mean, Buddha. Pre Corona, pre coronavirus. I, I was at a a Brooklyn Academy show in Munch in the plateau and we're all hanging out and this dude comes up to me and he goes, Hey man, you're Buddha. Yo, I'm, I'm uh, such and such from Ottawa. You know, I'm a native DJ. I got this crew. We're doing this thing. It's really cool. I think uh, you should be involved somehow, you know, like let, we, let's sit and talk. Let me, let me, let me break it down. do what, what, what we got going. I'm like, yeah, cool. And then it was like, Ring! He's like, oh, hold on, I gotta take this call, and then I never seen him again ever. And then, like a year later, one of the former members of the group hit me up, like, "Hey, what's up, man?" Or I think I recently, after that, I think I had figured out, like, okay, this guy is in that same group with this guy, but I didn't know who that other guy was. So I hit him up. I was like, "Hey, I'm, I met your buddy at the show. You know, he seemed interested in wanting to do something. We should connect. Whatever." I never heard back from them. And then like a year later, uh, buddy hits up, hits me up and is like, you know, we do this monthly in Ottawa at Babylon and we're, we got, we're able to get sponsorship and we have money to pay you and pay for your hotel. So if you want to come and DJ, would you want to come? And I'm like, of course. So I went down and that was the first time I DJed at the electric powwow. And after that, we sort of just became fast friends you know, I started filling in. They had started to tour a little bit at that time. So anytime it came on a month where they were touring and they couldn't DJ, they would get me to come fill in. So I did that, uh, I think, about three times. I Actually, I brought, um, I brought Tommy Cruz one time. This was when we were trying to break Tommy Cruz. So if you don't know, Mook Life had a lot to do with, with creating and, and breaking Tommy Cruz into what he's become now in the last few years. But initially, like, yeah, uh, I, we were just trying to put him on wherever we could because we wanted one of our MOOCs to, to get in, you know? <laughs> so uh, we, I brought him along to that. Uh, a few other things here in Montreal. They played Igloo Fest. We hung out. And then a few years back, I just got bored with life, and I quit my job, and I took all my savings, and I moved to New York. Uh, I got asked by DJ Brace, who's like a Juno award-winning Canadian DJ. He's like, yo, I got my, I got my work permit. I'm going to New York. You should come. 
I'm like, yeah, sure, get a place, and I'll, I'll think about it. He got a place. He's like, look, I found a place. I was like, oh, shit, okay. So I basically quit my job, closed up the shop here, and I moved down to, um, to Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. And uh, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I knew I was going to finish that record that I was telling you about, and I was going to work on my photography, which I had been doing with MOOC Life pretty heavily um, as one of the main contributors. And yeah, so I left and I just was there doing photography, working on music, uh, still doing the radio show. I had figured out a way to live broadcast a radio show from New York. I don't know if you remember that. No. That might have been, been right when you started, wasn't it? I, th- I think, it, yeah, it must be right around that time, but I don't, I, don't, I don't really remember that. We figured out a way where I was able to like Skype in or something and I would have my audio my audio signal playing through the internet and you guys would just broadcast my DJ set or I would send a DJ set. But yeah, so I was in New York doing that. And then it was like, Oh, South by Southwest is happening. You should everyone like my, the guys in tribe were like, we're playing. You should come down, come hang out. You know, I talked to Tommy Cruz. Like I'm supposed to go my manager right now. He was supposed to get me sponsorships. He's not gotten me anything, but I'm supposed to go. And all these people I know are going to be there and this and that. I was like, okay, Tommy, Get a, can you get us a place to stay while we're there? He's like, yeah, for sure, all my buddies. I'm like, okay, look, I'm going to pay for your flight from Montreal to Austin, and you're going and, and to pay me back, but you're going to get us a place to stay. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, at this point, he had become, you know, there was a Facebook, a Facebook um, group of all these crazy producers who are all now the big fucking producers of the day along with people like ASAP Yams uh, who were part of this group. So they were all going to be there and he had still yet to meet any of these people, but they were all bugging out on his style and his look and the music he was making and the, and the, the sets he was making. So I was like, no, bro, you're going to, you're going to come and I'll pay for it and we'll figure it out. So we ended up doing that and I ended up linking up with tribe and their manager was there and he was actually like hey man i'm about to have my first kid these guys are about to go on their first real tour in the states like two and a half weeks in in a week or something he's like you want to be their tour manager i was like hell yeah i was like i've been waiting for an opportunity to get involved and and be more involved i go because i see the promise of this group you know so yeah then that was it and then like 10 days later i was in fuck where were we we started in portland portland up to seattle and then down back through portland all the way down to san francisco and then across the country uh stopping and ending in uh in new orleans actually nice just doing a dab yeah yeah (laughs) i figured so yeah, like basically became fast friends <coughs> and then the opportunity to help them out came up and then that just sort of turned into <coughs> what I'm doing now. And I had zero experience. I mean, I've had experience doing stuff, but this is a very, you know, particular thing that you end up learning how to do. Mm-hmm. So how was that experience just going from artist to road manager? 
uh, made me not want to make music anymore. Because <laughs> when you're, I mean, e- you're, my my thoughts are either it would have made me wanting to do music even more, or just not do it as much, and it ended up being the latter. And I think only not because I I don't think I could have done it. I really had plans to like, you know what? I'm going to fucking start making some powwow electronic shit and let's see what we can do with it. But the more and more I got involved with the group and and meeting new people and seeing how the the industry is, I was just like, ugh. like the last thing I want to do is try to like get my friends to put me on while I'm working for them. That seems pretty fucking lame. So I was just like, I don't know, I'd, I'd rather do my job than try to be some guy trying to put himself on all the time, you know? Because mm-hmm. that's what it ended up being, is I'd be in positions where if I wanted to fucking put my, you know, like Benzino. <laughs> I guess that would be a great a great uh, other person to compare it to, you know? You're inside the machine, so you can, like, get so much shit done. If I wanted to be super scandalous, I could have gotten links with so many artists that so much management with so many things to put myself in a position to do something because these people know me on on so many different levels you know mm-hmm. it ended up becoming after years of of uh doing stuff like it fucking humbles you too because you you meet like people who are really big and they're like oh yeah so what well, you're like you're the buddy that they decided to bring along so you're like the tour manager and I'm like, I actually know I've been DJing as long as the one guy and twice as long as the other guy. And I, that, I knew this guy before he could even make music. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it definitely humbles you too when you get put in that position where it's like, you either got to go 120 and be like super out there or you're not really going to get nowhere. So the music industry is a real fucking animal and I'm I'm a lot more happy being on the side of the stage and being on stage but uh, I mean, unless i'm djing like that's fun that's cool that's yeah that's there, there, there's sometimes when you get back from tour i mean i'm on the outside right I, I i see you come back with a whole energy towards djing where your your dj sets might have a lot more energy uh than if you'd been home for a couple of months kind of thing you know and not in a bad way it's just yeah. there's this actual instead of like instead of like oh we're listening to music it's like you're 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 djing you're doing things and and i feel like that comes off of being around it and not being able to really participate it participate in it for you know let's say if you go away for a month and you come back and you're just like your your energy's like you know it's it's, for sure but there's a difference in my opinion on you know being a radio dj and then being a dj playing every night for an audience there as like a show so yeah that definitely you know that definitely makes a difference but just not being able to dj is what does that yeah not being able to dj like i can't just dj if i want to now i bought a controller so when we were going out the last few times i'd sit and do a little 20 30 minute mix Mm-hmm. And I guess by experiencing like all the different sides of the game, you see, oh, this is exactly what I like doing. And you're like, well, when I get the chance to do it, that's like, cause I see you having so much fun when you get back off a tour, just being in CKUT, like, th- you know, throwing tracks on it's, uh, yeah. 
Definitely, because it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. It's like yeah. now I can I can go and do what I do, you know, like. But for sure, um, I would say, not being able to DJ definitely makes you want to DJ more, and or listening to music while you're gone and being like, oh, I gotta play this. Like, that's always been my biggest drive with being a DJ. Is like, oh, I gotta play this. Oh, people gotta hear this. That's how I pushed so hard to, for Action Bronson to get put on in Canada so hard. Like, when I finally met the guy, he, like, thanked me for putting him on. Like, he was like, oh, shit, respect. Oh, that's dope. Because every, everybody I ever knew in all of Canada, when he was coming out, when that first uh, mixtape was coming out, I was like, yo, you got to play this guy. Like, anybody I knew, I was like, you got to play this guy. This guy's the shit. Like, this guy, and it had nothing to do with, like, he sounds like Ghostface or he's this or he's a chef. It was like, the beats are sick and the rhymes are nice straight up like what more do you want and as a character but yeah so it's like i don't know lost my train of thought there after that <laughs> oh, but i hear you i hear you um the radio obviously changed over this the years like the relevance has changed um what are your thoughts on how the radio has changed uh, and where you, where you see progression and where you see things um, going in the future? I don't know. That's a hard question because I feel like radio has slowly just been dying, but it just never goes away. So it's like I can build a bigger platform on my social media now and then slip in that I'm a DJ and get listenership that way. Then I could trying to build listenership any other way like locally even i don't know i wouldn't even know how to do that like unless you're in your car most people aren't listening to the radio so it's like you gotta really be like yo we're streaming like we used to stream check this shit we used to stream the whole show on Ustream for like a couple years until Ustream went away like we would have a camera set up at one facing one spot and we would just play the whole show you would hear the music you'd hear the music and you would just see us in the studio chilling and crazy when we'd come on we would come on and this is like way back when i'd have to ask flo when that was because he's not the stoner and would remember dates better than anybody but yeah because i remember that was when uh joey diaz was getting big and and joe rogan and they weren't necessarily they weren't on youtube yet they were on like tiny chat then on new stream so yeah I, definitely we could probably go back and there still shows up on the Ustream. stream because then it would be cool when someone came through to rap then you could just like oh i put a camera on it unless they didn't want to be filmed so yeah as far as that it's like i really feel like i don't i don't know if there's going to be a progression it's like I'm so in it that I don't even know how other people see it anymore. You know, I'm involved in the youth culture, but it's on a different sort of a plane. It's not, has nothing to do with radio. Yeah. I don't think I don't think any any of the music that I'm involved with as far as my regular job where I get to see it on a larger scale deals with radio. And then for my day to day, unless you're in your car, like I don't really know people who listen to the radio. That's why I'm always trying to push the live or like you know get the re, the re-listen back on soundcloud or just try to like get people involved to go onto the site and stream it 
Yeah, one thing I feel like um, the radio has progressed or maybe shifted over into podcasts, you know? That's kind of like the continuation a little bit of, of radio that's talk radio. That's exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's like this. That's like having a, fa- a long form conversation as opposed to like when I was like, there was a point where I was doing this kind of radio and I was doing commercial hip hop radio. So I would, I would do like two minute. Uh, I, like I remember interviewing like swollen members and I was like, okay, look, this interview is for the underground college show. Okay. We're going to do a long format. It's going to be like 15 minutes. Talk about whatever you want. This okay, and this one, this is going to be three minutes and we're going to break it into two segments, a minute and a half each. And I'm just going to ask you bullet point questions and you just get it out to a larger audience. They're like, Oh, okay, cool. And bang. You know what I mean? So it's, you have to really survey, survey the audience now mm-hmm. on, sorry. No, no. I just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I don't know. Lost my train of thought again. This interview's going going in the dumper now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) um, yeah. So let's transition from you know like that. You know, we're just talking about podcasts. So I wanted to talk about the podcast that you do and everything that goes with that podcast and yeah. I totally forgot about that podcast. <laughs> transition, you Oil and flowers podcast. Yeah, no, you're saying, uh, you know, things have transitioned to podcasts and I definitely have transitioned into doing a podcast. That's, that is totally true. Uh, a very organic thing. I think we're in our third season, but I think we've been doing it for like four years now. And what it is is um, Damien Abraham, singer for the band Fucked Up, and also known for many different things involving wrestling and music and cannabis. Uh, he does a, sh- uh, a podcast called Turned Out a Punk, where he interviews various people from various backgrounds that you would never think or maybe have always wanted to know that they were involved in punk. So he's been doing this for a long time. He also did some stuff with Vice and Herb different websites, different uh, educational things. He was like, hey, man, I want to start some new podcasts. He's like, I'm going to start a wrestling podcast. I also want to start a cannabis podcast. He's like, would you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, sure. That'd be awesome. For sure. Let's do it. So he'd be like, okay, you're going to be the host, and I'm just going to be your sidekick. He's like, and you can just do everything. I'm like, all right, cool. Perfect. So we did that. Uh, I think we did 10 or 12 episodes the first season, and I think we did 18 the second, and we're in the middle of the third one right now. And basically, it's me and Damien just talking. I mean, we're both fortunate fortunate enough to travel the world extensively uh, on a somewhat regular basis, or we were, to be able to comment and experience cannabis all over the world. So with that in mind, we sit and uh, we have a discussion just about what's going on, where we've been. Also, you know, the last couple of years in Canada, last three years at least in Canada, have had you know more than enough things to discuss as far as uh, Justin Trudeau claiming legalization and then legalization and happening and then everything that's happened since legalization uh, right up to even this past few weeks with, you know, some of the companies shutting down 30% of their operation 
So it's it's a lot of just basic conversation, me and him talking. You know, I'm the snob. He's the everyday guy. And then it'll be followed with a usually like a 15 to 20 minute interview one-on-one with me and somebody, like whether it's a cannabis enthusiast, cannabis extractor, grower, uh, you know, uh, someone of note, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's educational. I want the interview part was more like, cause I've been doing interviews forever, you know? So I, I love to hear about people. Yeah. So many, so much of what this existence is now is perception of what, like, sorry, is giving the perception of what you want people to see. So you don't always get a real feel for certain people or for people in general. So when I approach an interview, I like to try to do it on that level. You know, I want to break the facade and get down to, to where they're from, where you're at, where you came from. How, how did we get here? So that's kind of the goal in the interview part of it. And it seems to have worked pretty successfully as far as the guests I've had. And yeah, we're going strong. We just put one out not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, our second quarantine uh, episode. And I'll surely be doing another one probably in the next couple of weeks. We try to get one a month, two a month if possible. And that's it. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a cannabis podcast. It's given me the opportunity to meet a lot of interesting people in the cannabis world all over the world because you take that along with the job and it just opens up a lot of possibilities and a lot of uh, interesting interactions. So at best, you know, I just have a lot of great stories and I get to interview a lot of cool people who, uh, you know, most of the time end up becoming my friends. So it's it's a win-win-win. Nice, nice. Um, anything else you want to mention to the people about the podcast? Um, well, they can listen to it on all of the major platforms. You can go to Spotify. You can go to iTunes Podcast. You can go to Google Play Music. And they're all there. The, the second and third season are all on our own channel, which is Oil and Flowers Podcast. The first season is scattered about on the Turned Out a Punk channel. So if you search it, you'll find it. Uh, but you, it may not all. The first season won't be on the same channel. Other than that, you can uh, go to uh, Instagram. It's uh, Oil and Flowers Podcast. I just hit 3K on there today, actually. Nice. And uh, Yeah, I've been doing a lot of memes. Basically, the, the, the page is a lot of uh, ca- cannabis stuff. And then the stories are funny memes and uh, social, social commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Check it out if you have a chance. All right. All right. Um, is there anything that you do outside of music or, you know, anything that we talk, spoke, everything that we spoke about that we find might be interesting or might surprise us? Uh, I just started beekeeping. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, my brother brought it up, um, earlier in the year. There's these Australian company that did a uh, a, go, a go starter or what do you call it crowdfund basically for the GoFundMe? new stock yeah no uh, crowd yeah something like this yeah uh, but it's for a business there's a certain one I think for businesses okay doesn't okay, matter cool. yeah it's not important but they started it okay so they started this a company in Australia and what it is 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 it's a system of hive 
where you don't actually have to pull out the frames and use like a hot knife and like get all the honey cut like i don't know if you've ever seen it but they have to use a hot knife and you cut away the layer of wax that the bees create and then under there is the honeycomb with the honey in it and then you can either cut out the combs or some people have like a machine that you sort of just squash it and it, all the honey comes out and it's collected so this is obviously a laborious and a messy uh thing so these australians figured out a way where they have these like carbon fiber cones but they're almost they're like not totally complete and they're movable. So what you do is you can stick this, this uh, arm thing into the frame and you turn it and it'll close the combs. So they're just almost closed, but not quite. And what, what you'll do is you'll use this to collect the honey. So how I'll just to quickly explain, I won't get deep, but how a beehive works is the the hive, the box, they call it a broad box has these, all of the slats with the different cone with all the cones in it and in that bottom broad box you have the queen so the queen is there and her job is she puts her eggs into each one of those little holes of the comb and then the all the other worker bees you know they fill it up with honey and then they calf it off and then that's where the new bees are born now when you want honey what you do is you put a little thing on top of that box and then you put a second box on top and now the queen can't get up there because she can't fit because the only cause she's a little bit bigger and she doesn't go outside of the hive usually very much. So she can't get up there. So she stays in the bottom, but all the other bees will go and continue doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is setting up these combs and then getting them filled with honey and then um, closing them off. You know, in that time, the, the queen should have gone and put the, the babies in, but she's not there. So once it's filled, now you take that, you take that uh, arm again, you stick it into the slot, you, pull, you open a little spout at the bottom, you stick in a tube, and you literally turn the, the, the cones open again, and it releases all the honey. And then the honey just comes out. You don't have to touch anything. It just pours out into your whatever. When you're done, you close it back, and literally as the honey is coming out, the bees are already there fixing it, getting it ready for, the, for another set of cones because there's only a little bit of, of wax, right, that they have to finish. So once you've spread it apart, it breaks apart. They probably go in there, clean it off, and then they start filling it again. So it's just like a super next-level way of getting the honey out. So my brother told me about this, and I had seen it, and he's like, let's buy one each. So he got, he got one, and then I got one, and, and then he ordered his bees, and I, I waited too long. His bees came earlier, but we were lucky enough, someone up the street from him, has a, a, all these hives so we're able to get one so now he has a hive uh they're done they're done building their hive so now he's put the second layer on and now they're going to fill that for honey mine is uh still finishing their hive so maybe another week or two and then i'll be able to put this contraption on top and then they'll start filling that with honey and then maybe two weeks after that i can start taking honey out so i have my own raw honey it's just super cool and like I've learned a lot about bees and like we fucking need bees or we're all going to die because they pollinate everything so yeah. they grow fruit and everything. So it was like last year there was a grower guy who was doing a thing where if you paid into getting a hive you would um, you would also get seeds of this special strain that he was selling 
And I was like really interested. The whole thing interested me. But you know, the US the US fucking exchange is ridiculous. And I was like I was like, yo man, I'm like, I'm sorry I can't. I'm like, it's like almost double with the exchange. And then I like saw this stuff and I started looking into it and I'm like, you can just do this here. Like, let's do this here. And my brother's like, Yeah, let's do it. I got a spot. I'm like, fucking right. So it's it's happening. So that's something I've been uh, getting into. Yeah, you know, I've always I've always loved growing. I wanted to get a chicken coop. My brother already has chickens, so it's like, I guess I don't need to. But that's been something I've been thinking about. So on top yeah. of help, helping the environment, like how much honey do you get from? Does, does this thing bring so, a lot of honey? Like what kind of? So the um, so the the sla- the 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 um, I always forget what they call it. The frame. So there's seven frames in this in this box. And each frame, I think, pulls out a, a like a hundred milliliters, like a liter, hundred a thousand milliliters. Sorry. Yeah. So a liter. I think it's a liter. A liter or a quart? How much is a a, a quart compared to a liter? Well, a thousand milliliters is a liter. Um, but what do you mean? What's what's a quart exactly? <laughs> a, quart, a quart or what? A quart. Quart. of liquid it's like you ever see a milk quart where they have the like handle it's a lot more than a liter i'm not sure but it's a lot it's talking about like a gallon there you go maybe it is a gallon four liters it might be four liters it's a lot though out of all once all the frames are emptied it's a lot of honey cool and and that's every every how long up to depending but it could be two to three weeks crazy which is amazing so it's like Probably do uh, uh, some small batch and can find. Well, first and foremost, hand it out to all my friends and family, and then whatever extra, try to sell it. Obviously, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's definitely more than enough honey. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's always good to have it, you know. And you can do so much with it. You could change the consistency. You could sell it as white honey. You could do this, do that. Also, the bee pollen is really good for you. That's what I'm really excited about is to get some bee pollen, eat that shit. It's like super food. What kind of benefits do you get from that? Well, for one, if you have uh, allergies and you eat local honey from your area in the, in, the, in the winter leading up to spring, you'll have less of an effect when the pollen hits. Like I know so many people used to have to hit a claritin all the time you know when once yeah. uh spring yeah. comes well if you if if you're getting honey from uh a place whose bees are using the pollen from whatever it is you're allergic to or is in that area like literally say you were my brother and you had allergies and he ate that honey he wouldn't get allergies or i can't, okay. say, he, I can't say he wouldn't but it would help with the situation. Yeah, because you're inoculating yourself, right? Yeah, you're yeah. Eat, eating the pollen. That's that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And like, and the pollen has a lot of uh, a lot of anti-inflammatory stuff, and yeah, bees, man, bees are the shit. I'm like super. I'm super excited. Today was today actually was the first day I went, and I pulled out the frames, and we're looking at the frames. We're trying to find a queen, actually. That's cool. Find a queen, <laughs> and then and then. Um, actually she lays queens so i was telling my brother we need to try to find the queen when they when she lays it before she they kill it and then we collect it and then we can start a third hive on our own because what they do is they'll they'll lay queens but they just killed them 
because they only want one queen. But if you can get to the queen, that new queen before the your current hive's queen kills it, you can put it in a new hive, and you then just take one of the you just take one of the one of the the frames that have bees on them, and you put it in there with the with the new queen, and then they'll just start building that hive. It's it's amazing, man. It's really amazing. That's it's, cool. It's like, yeah, some cool shit for sure. You could just sit there, sit there and watch all day. Just watch them come in and out of the hive. Or just like you take the top off and watching them like, I'll send you some photos, bro. Like, Yeah, so far everything looks pretty cool, man. It's been a nice, I guess, nice coronavirus uh, project since having to spend a little bit more time at the crib. Yeah, well, it's like you said, uh, I tend to be, uh, I like to say hyper-focused. Some like to say obsessed. You like to say uh, passionate. So, you know, once I get, once I get into something, I got to like check myself because I'll get deep, 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 deep. But some stuff I don't mind because it's like, yeah, let's go all the way with it. Yeah, because it's only bringing good things, right? Exactly. Yeah, man. Exactly. So, yo, you, you've been a, a radio host, a DJ, producer, executive producer, engineer, road engineer keeper, mixer. Yeah, I used to uh, you, you mixed a project, a project that I did, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I, I mixed a bunch of dub plates for, Ma, for Macer. Jeez. Actually. A bunch of his dub plates. I mixed a bunch of them. Shout out to Macer. Shout out to Macer. Um, so, like in this hip hop, you know, in this Montreal hip hop history, what would you like people to remember about you as an artist and as a man? Wow, just uh, you know the the loud Indian guy who smoked a lot of weed that put everybody on that you know was worth being put on. I don't know, man. Just I, I always, I, I, all I've ever wanted to do is play good new music for people, get people as excited about the things that I was hearing as I was when I found something. And that's how I still am. Like, fuck, when I started playing Ito or Vidon or like Flea Lord or like all these guys who are like, were nobodies. And now they're like, they're really in their groove. And it's like, oh, fuck, see? You know, like that's 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 all I'm trying to do is like push that music that catches fire because I see the potential and that's that's what I enjoy. Just finding new stuff and trying to share it and putting people on whenever I can, you know. Yeah, man, I, I have to extend well, not extend, but I have to say thank you for for putting me on the radio um, when it you came to. When it came to just putting <laughs> putting a mix out, you know, you were like, yo, just give me a mix to play at the end of the show. And then you're like, if you want to come through to the radio, you know, that was my first radio experience is coming through to off the hook and just talking about the mix that I did for you. And, and uh, you were like, you know, if you want to come back next week to DJ during the instrumental part, just come through. And that was that was just a blessing, man, and a gift. So I have to, got to yeah. say thanks for putting me on, man, and 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 keeping me straight with everything. If the mix was off, you'd tell me, you know. If the the volume was was whatever, you would tell me. And if, even uh, when it came down to my music, me, you know. Yeah, and even when it when it came down to my music, uh, if you didn't like whatever, you were like, yo, that that's that's snare sound yeah exactly man exactly and that i i appreciate that so much and people people need that honesty because it, it 
you know, if you get honesty, it always comes from a, from a good place, from a better place than someone's trying to tell you stories, you know? So, Man, if there's one thing I can say is, you know, if I ain't saying nothing, I don't give a fuck. You know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. My, yeah. my biggest weapon is silence. <clears throat> but yeah, no, man, you're, um, I'm happy you're, you're still here doing it. And it's like, you've been someone who brought uh, a fire back to the show because it was like just me, me and Flo. And yeah, to have you come and you be someone younger who's back into the scene as much as I was when I was your age. Ah, when I was your age, <laughs> like ten, but like ten, ten years, basically before I started touring so much, where I was never around. Mm-hmm. It's like once I moved to New York, MOOC life sort of ended with the with the Olympics. So it's like that whole connection to the scene wasn't even there anyway. So I was gone. And then it's like, you know, I was gone for almost half a year. And when I came back, I was never home after that. So it's like my connection to any kind of scene going on was gone. So to have you come through was just awesome because you're in it and you're passionate. And it was like, come on, we need the next generation. It's always going to be, it's, there's going to be someone after you who's going to take my fucking place and you're going to take my place at some point. You know what I mean? Like. Not necessarily, but you know what I mean? Like, it's always going to yeah, be... Yeah, just the, the idea of... Yeah, the, it just the torch being passed to... Exactly. Passed on, you know? Yeah. It's like, it like, it like Pat Reck, Orion, Flo, right? Pat Reck ended up becoming, like, the manager for, like, stars and, like, all these other things. And then he was the head of fucking uh, Gillette or whatever it was called at that time. Like, the biggest company that makes all the shows. Sorry, Pat. I don't remember what it's called, but... So, they changed it so many times. But you know what I mean? Like he went on to so many other things and passed the torch on to me where then it was just me, Flo, Orion. And then, you know, Orion left and then it was passed the torch on to me, me and Flo. Flo's just always been the backbone. Like Flo is off the hook. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then I seen you, you came and then like even Tokyo, trying to bring Tokyo along just because we need that, that extra next generation even if it is just to ridicule him because he's a funny motherfucker <laughs> man a lot of love for folks man a lot of love for, for sure. folks i was just and, messaging uh, him the other day like yo you gotta get on zoom it's like you all not with the times guy <laughs> does your phone work he's like not even guy i was like i was talking to him on twitter this guy's on the uh, flip phone uh, man what do you expect well i don't know how he's got twitter on the flip phone but i think he has some sort of tablet uh so yeah there you go but yeah, man, shout out to Tokes, shout out to Flo. So much love for those guys. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, man. Um, is, is there, I just wanted to say, like, are there any random hip hop stories that just come to mind over the years uh, that you could think of that, that you know, memorable mm. or? One, one good story was, uh, well, one of my favorites was DJing for Gang Green at belmont just like i don't even know how the fuck that happened i just remember they gave me the usb key with all the beats and i dj'd for oh no and alchemist for that night that was sick crazy um seeing uh, ari the rugged man ridicule orion and fuck with him on purpose because that's what he used to do at for fun and just like yeah just fucking take take it out all on orion the whole set just fucking with him the whole time making it off the beat and like just doing shit like even the beats i think were fucked up on purpose 
so he could do it it was like a whole thing like some andy kaufman shit you know what i mean okay <laughs> okay it's like it's a total play but the only person who knows it's a joke is already around is already and he probably just has a good laugh about it afterwards exactly but i've seen him do it a couple times so i know it's sort of an act but mm-hmm. yeah that was pretty funny uh walking in walking in on nonfiction on their last one of their last shows ever before they broke up and like feeling the tension that that band was fucking gonna break up and like oh but i was like hey guys what's up and then <laughs> but i had it's funny because at during that time i had gone really close with necro not close like we're homies but like really helping him promote all his projects because he was putting all these fucking psychological project albums out at the same time right all the solo members of nonfiction back to back and um i got to interview all of them so it's funny i remember sabak was just like hey i recognize that voice what's going on buddha and like everyone else was just like who the fuck's this guy but yeah you could see the tension and then we found out like not long after that they broke up but that was their last one of their last shows Last show here in Montreal. That was dope. Um, watching like <laughs> seeing seeing um, uh, Flava Flav pacing backstage on a cell phone for like a bunch of the set because the way we were sitting, we could see the side stage and we could see the stage. And watching like whoever was on at that time, and just seeing like him freaking out, and then finding out years later through Orion that it was because he was trying to buy crack. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or drugs i don't know but i would imagine it was crack or cocaine but yeah i don't know those are all memorable that show in general was super memorable another super memorable show was seeing the whole boot camp click at uh for a hot minute they were doing shows uh at that venue on saint saint catherine and saint laurent saints yeah yeah and I also saw a great set from Mob Deep there. That was those are two really phenomenal shows for sure. Because the whole, and then obviously Gang uh, Gangstar, um, at Spectrum, which doesn't even exist anymore. That was a great venue uh, at Spectrum for the decade of a uh, decadence or aggression or whatever that compilation was called. Uh, yeah, full clip decade of excellence. Decade of excellence. See, there was a. Uh, Slayer album called Decade of Aggression. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, those would be some some really cool shows. Obviously, the uh, the first time Action Bronson played Montreal when we did the Mook Life party, and he was he was tossing out um, prosciutto into the crowd. Yeah, him and Nessar and uh, uh, Joe Lejeune. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some good, good, some good shows. Good shows. Good shows. Yeah, big crit big crit at belmont that was an incredible show i was like that's the first artist i've seen who has like chill music able to make his live show super hype even though his songs are all kind of chill yeah i'm sure i'm missing some but those are definitely some some fun highlights mm-hmm. spectrum I didn't, I didn't get to go to any shows at spectrum spectrum was it was kind of like um, the one there on Saint Cat on Saint Laurent, right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Show uh, Club Soda. Who opened for Gangstar when they when they came through? Oh, who did who did open up for Gangstar? 
I know they had this. Uh, 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 what was his name? Stacks, something Stacks, Hannibal Stacks. Remember okay. Hannibal Stacks played? You know what? It might have been a local opener, but I don't okay. remember. Okay. It wasn't memorable, obviously. <laughs> that was a good one too. Was um, J Live, uh, J Zone, and Lewis Logic at Fafun, and we heard about this after the fact, but um, J Zone came out in like uh, his grandmother's fur coat. And he does this whole thing in this like old lady fur coat, but he was like six with like a hundred sick with like a hundred and something degree fever, doing that whole show. But yeah, that that was a dope show. Only time he ever came to Montreal, I think. That's See, cool. Even him, like now he's a drummer, and now he does like a podcast about drumming. He puts out um, drum yeah, kits, yeah. you know, he, on vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Have you bought any? No, I almost did one time. I forget why I didn't. But, uh, maybe there's so I don't know. I forget 30, why. Thirty-five percent plus exchange. <laughs> U.S. price. Yeah, that's that's usually what does it for me. And then the duty at the door. Well, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you don't get the duty, or you just get dutied all over. Yeah. Like I'm still waiting for stuff. I ordered, <laughs> I ordered fucking pray for Paris merch, which was the uh, the West Side Gun Drop. And and they canceled my order. I don't know why. And that because I'm like, it never got here. They're like, oh, we sent you your money back. I'm like, what do you mean? And then we ordered some other stuff. I ordered another thing. I'm waiting for that. And then my boy ordered another thing. I ordered for him. And we're still waiting. It's I'm waiting for stuff from BC. Apparently, there's mountains, and I don't mean piles. I mean mountains of mail still waiting to be scanned in Montreal and in uh, Mississauga. As far oh as yeah, Canada, Canada Post. So. I believe it. I believe it. But then I had a buddy send me something from BC and it got here in like four days. So, so maybe it's the size or I don't know. Anyway, off topic, but yeah. Those are some of my memorable... Maybe intercan between you know Canadian cities, maybe it's not as much as the stuff coming from other countries because of the corona and all that stuff. I don't know. Well, I sent something to somebody in Cali and it got there in four days from here. All right, well... <laughs> Just last week. Must be random then. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, I guess those would be my, uh, I wouldn't say top, but those would, those would be some of the ones that come to mind. I've been lucky enough to see uh, a few good hip-hop shows. For sure. Yeah, man. And take part in them, sounds like. So. Yeah, I mean, for a, point, for a moment, I was like the host and or de facto DJ at a lot of those shows, which is always cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's it. Sure, I'll think of something after the fact. DJing for Narcy uh, at Jazz Fest in front of, uh, I think it was like 50,000 people. And then yeah, they that was dope. Happy birth- they sang me happy birthday. Yeah, I was one of those people singing singing for you. Man. <laughs> that was that was a crazy hip-hop show that I was involved in. Ten-piece band. Yeah, that was, that was dope, man. That was dope. Yeah, that's... Uh, Another cool hip hop moment would be going with uh, with two hip hop artists and driving to Manhattan or was it Manhattan? Madison Square Garden is that in Manhattan or Brooklyn? Yeah, that's in Manhattan. Yeah, to Manhattan and recording with uh, Inspector Deck and Buckshot. Jeez, like being in the studio while they while they recorded verses for songs for these two 
Canadian artists. That was crazy. Sorry. You going to name those Canadian artists? Or? Yeah. Uh, Anakin Slade did a track with uh, Inspector Deck. And then D-Shade did a track with uh, Buckshot. Buckshot, yeah. Dope. Now you can cut to like those tracks. You can cut to my tracks. So much shit you can do with this interview now. Drop it down. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, if the whole world was uh, listening right now, what would your message be? Uh, everybody should at least do mushrooms twice and smoke more hash rosin. <laughs> it'll make you nicer or it'll make you sleep and everybody needs a good night of sleep. <laughs> That's a good answer, man. <laughs> I didn't know what I'm to expect. Right I didn't know what to expect from you with, with that question. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect either. That was a good Buddha answer. So yeah, man, um, I want you to take a moment to shout out all of your Instagrams, your SoundClouds, uh, any, any place where you want people to go listen to your music slash connect with your podcast slash connect with you. Sure. Um, they can go to, uh, on SoundCloud, it's Buddha Blaze, B-U-D-D-A Blaze. On Twitch, it's DJ Buddha Blaze. Um, if you want to check out the podcast, it is oil and flowers podcast on everything basically spotify itunes google i'm on I, i'm on youtube but there isn't a lot on there just because youtube is a fucking pain in the ass to create um video for just to put audio up it's uh, it's, just a, it's a pain in the ass so there and um yeah oil and flowers podcast on instagram you can check me sunday nights on Uptown Grow Lab on YouTube. I do a, an hour-long session with my man, JJ, from Uptown, from Uptown Grow Lab. We do it 11 to midnight uh, East Coast, which is 8 to 9 West Coast. And yeah, uh, just look out for the podcast. I always got new podcasts dropping at least once a month, if not uh, more. Nice, nice. So Buddha, man, thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, oh, and, and of course the radio show is off the hook. Radio. <laughs> yeah, man, tonight midnight to two a.m. Yeah, ckut.ca ninety point three FM. We'll see if it's a repeat because I only got like two hours to send them a new show, and you haven't <laughs> mix yet. So you might be listening to a, re a repeat tonight. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah, man. Shout out to you uh, putting together great shows uh, throughout the whole Corona. I know you've been digging for a lot of new music every single time uh, yeah, uh, you know and, and reaching out to, to different DJs to, to, to put out mixes. So it's, it's dope, man. I mean, if all goes well, I have a mix from Busy Rock tonight. So check it out. <laughs>